Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, uh, let me add my welcome to the one that uh, both Jordan and Justin have given you this morning. It's great to be here and again, I want to honour those uh, people, mainly young people but not just young people who are part of KTO this week. Justin mentioned crazy, crazy kids. It was a double crazy and uh, two of those, three of those crazy kids were my grandkids. So just thanks to all the kids who were part of that. It was really do appreciate that. Um, a free hit. That's what Maney said to me when he said, I said, what are, you, what are you preaching on? What themes? You No, no, themes are finished. It's a free hit. I'm not exactly 100% sure what that means. Sometimes it's easier not to have a free hit because you don't know what to do. That's maybe if you're in a series on maybe the ten toes of the beast in Revelation, it would be easier to do you're on toe number seven or something like that and make it, make it a bit easier. But a free hit's not always that easy. But I wanted to share just some thoughts this morning around this last couple of years has been a crazy, crazy couple of years. And, and I don't know about you, but um, I want to share, it does something to you. And it's something that I'm going to be working through myself about what does it do to you and, and how does it affect you. And so I want to talk this, my theme, if you like, is um, flourishing or languishing. Choose the former. In your faith. I don't know about you, but you know, you hear all these stories about because you're all, you're all together and you're locked away and you can't, you've got more time at home and more time to, to flourish and more time to do I didn't find that at all. I found I probably languished more than I flourished. And I don't mean when it comes to faith, I'm not talking about my faith took a hit, but the practices and the rhythms of my faith took a hit. Don't know about you're in the same boat like that, but you know, you think you're at home more, more than you, you, know, you normally are, so you should be able to get those disciplines and practices you know, running really smoothly because you're there. I actually found the opposite. I found that I would, there's so many other things I was distracted by and so many other things I was doing. And, and, and so I want to talk this morning about flourishing or, language, or languishing. Choose the former. Choose the former because it's a choice we can make. And when you Google those words, you'll find the one word that comes up in both the definitions is vitality. Flourishing means building vitality. Languishing means losing vitality. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's that vitality of faith that's crucial. It's not the doctrine of faith or the things you believe. Up here, it's sometimes the, the vitality of it, living it out. So that's what I want to share this morning. And I just want to share some thoughts with you, some foundational thoughts that I hope will help me flourish. I hope they help you flourish as well. And here, here the thoughts are these. Just bear with me as I share these. First one is this, settle who you are and what you have. Settle who you are and what you have. If you're, you're not where you are, and Jordan mentioned it before, we're not in the place we are with God because of our performance, because of how clever we are, because of how smart we are, or any of that. You need to settle that you are a, a child of God, someone who God loves deeply and powerfully before anything else before performance, before intelligence, before savvy, before any of those things, that's who you are. It's not about performance. I, uh, this, is the, this weekend is the Gold Coast Marathon. I was actually 
down there this morning and, and not running, obviously, but, but uh, just watching them run. Yesterday was the half marathon. And I went out to a walk to my coffee shop close by and, and uh, um, I was walking down there and it was near the finish. It was at about 400 metres from the finish along the highway where people are just lined along cheering people and the group of people who were running in were not the winners of that but they weren't far behind. There was a group of people who were running pretty quick and had a good lick and I went in, you know, people were running and cheering, hey, way to go, terrific, good, good on you. And I went in, had a cup of coffee, sat down, had a piece of banana bread with butter and, and jam, was beautiful and uh, toasted and, uh, um, and I read the paper for a while got up, walked back, and coming in were the ends of the run, the stragglers. And I noticed this one guy, he was probably, there was thousands of runners, but he was probably in the last 10. He was a big guy, huge big guy, and he's one of those guys where the, the, the paramedics are waiting at the end just for this guy, you know, this guy, they're waiting. He, he didn't look like he was a runner at all. He was huge and... And, uh, but he's at the end of a 21-kilometre, almost running, quite a walking, running. Um, and and he's, everyone's got their name on their bibs, so he's running down the aisle. Come on, Steve, you can do it. You can make it. And they're cheering him on. And the thing I noticed was the cheers for Steve were no less than the cheers for the first group of people I saw running through who were towards the front. It's like that with God. He doesn't look at your performance. Steve walked away with the finisher T-shirt, probably 5XL, but finisher T-shirt, like everybody else who finished. God doesn't see you as someone who's performed terrifically, therefore I accept you but he sees you for someone created in his image who he loves and you can't get away from his love. Jordan read this passage. I want to read it again to you in Ephesians chapter 2. But God is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's by grace. It's this extraordinary thing called grace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. You can't manipulate it. It's called grace and it's what God has given to you. And by faith, you appropriate that in your own life. And that's where it doesn't matter whether you're Steve or the winner. God loves you. And you need to settle that because we can spend a lot of our life seeking the approval of people. I just want to get the approval because I perform well, because I do a great thing, because we can do it in the Christian church, because I'm there at everything. Every time the doors open, I'm there, etc. That's where my approval comes from. No, it comes from Jesus. It's his grace, his grace alone. And it says you are his 
workmanship. Some versions say masterpiece. The word is poemia. We get the word poem from you are God's poem. God's built a rhyme in you. You're his verse. You're God's poem. You don't get there by doing good works. You get to do good works because you got there by him. You don't have to do stuff. You get to do stuff. Makes all the difference. And just before that, you would read in, in the first chapter of Ephesians. That's the second chapter of Ephesians. You read this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We have this thing called redemption. It means to buy back. That's what redemption means. It just means to buy back. It means to, to someone's paid the price for you. It means that you've got this new relationship. When Chris and I were first married long, 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 long time ago, um, when we were first married, we, we, we lived in Elizabeth in South Australia. Anyone know where Elizabeth in South Australia is? Elizabeth's a migrant city in South Australia. It was built for primarily in the 50s and 60s when, you know, firstly Italian and Greek and then Pommy migrants came out. We came out from Northern Ireland and, and uh, you came out and you settled in this town called Elizabeth. It's a tough place. Jimmy Barnes territory. It's a tough place. And uh, we got married. Our first flat was a council flat and a council block of flats called Cornwall Flats. They're all named after English places. And we lived in a flat cost us $14.25 a week for rent for the flat. Had you put your name down for a carport. When you got a carport, which we did after a few months, the rent went to $14.75 a month, 50 cents a week for a carport. And then we bought our first house. We bought our first house in a sort of suburb that was part of Elizabeth, just on the edge, is called Hillbank. We bought our first house for um, $24,500. It's almost criminal, isn't it, to think about it. For $24,500, I Googled it the other day. 52 Bungara Street, Hillbank. I Googled it the other day. It was sold recently for 20, almost 20 times what we paid for it. It wasn't a few years ago. Now it'd be 30. And if I wanted to if I wanted to rebuild the relationship I had with that house, I could redeem it for a huge price. To get back into a relationship with that house we had when we first started, it would cost me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars if I was going to pay that price. God has redeemed you. He's paid a price that you couldn't pay to get you back in relationship with where he put you in the first place. So you have... You need to settle the fact that you are a child of God. There's nothing you can do to earn that or merit that or buy that. That's who you are. That's the centre of your life. And you will never flourish if you haven't resolved that now. If you are still fighting for approval or fighting for performance or whatever it might be, trying to get your approval or your sense of well-being or your sense of worth in some other way, other than the fact that the God of the universe has seen worthwhile you pying back for. If you get any other way, you will never flourish. It's the beginning point. We need to settle that very, very early, very, very quickly. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Paul says to the church in, 
in Rome, nothing will separate from the love of God. Neither life, nor death, nor anything. That's what he says. Neither the present, nor the future, nor any, nor any demons, height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you. And can I say this and understand what I'm saying when I say this? Even your sin cannot separate you. It's nothing can. It does from your side, but it doesn't from God's side. Your sin can separate you from God on your side because you have guilt and shame and embarrassment and humiliation and all that, but from God's side, nothing can. Nothing. Even that. Extraordinary. Nothing is nothing. I read this fantastic scripture about um, security of Jesus. I, I love this. When Jesus is about to... Um, Wash his disciples' feet, which takes incredible security, incredible identity, to, just to be able to wash someone else's feet when somebody should have washed yours, but you choose to wash someone else's. Just before he does that, the scriptures say this. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped the towel around his waist. If you read that, what it says that Jesus knew where he'd come from, who he was, and where he was going. You know, it says there, he said to them, the, um, the Father put things all under his power, so he knew he lived in the power of the Father. And that he'd come from God and was returning to God. He knew where he'd come from, he knew who he was, and he knew where he was going, and that's the source of security for you and for me. You know where you've come from? You know who you are in Jesus and you know where you're going and his purpose and plan for you. That's the basis of flourishing. That's the starting point. Know where you come from, know who you are and know where you're going. Thought number one. I've spent a bit more time on that thought because it's the foundational one, the foundational thought of all what I want to share with you today. Second thing is this, make double love the foundation of your thoughts and actions. Let me explain that to you, what I mean by double love. Make that the foundation of your thoughts and actions. When, after the resurrection, when Jesus appeared a number of times to a number of different people, one of those times he was on a road out of Jerusalem towards Emmaus, you know the story, where there are two people there who are just languishing. They are just distraught, despairing. So frustrated. What's it all about? We thought this was the Messiah, but it seems not. It seems like we've lost the Messiah and nothing seems to have told us anything different. Been crucified. We read this in, in Luke's Gospel, the end, that story. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So what Jesus is saying to them is this, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. All of the law and the prophets is, is fulfilled. Let me try and illustrate that to you just visually. That means all of that, all of that bit there has been fulfilled in Jesus. All the law and the prophets have been fulfilled in him. And it's all led towards him. And he's fulfilled it all. 
But how's he fulfilled it? And how can we join with him in fulfilling that? Well, you know the story very well that he fulfilled that. Matthew's Gospel, it's another Gospels as well. Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. How do you do that? You love, double love. Love God, love others. That's it. They're the greatest commandments. They're the greatest commandments you can know. They're even greater commandment than the Great Commission. You can't have more than one greatest commandment. The greatest commission must come in under love God and love people. It's, it's the, these are the greatest commandments. And all the law and the prophet, which I came to fulfill, hang on these two. They hang on these two. There's nothing greater. Make double love, love God and love people, the foundational thought and action of your life. That's how you flourish. And it's... They're the things that will help you in the rhythms and the practices that get out of kilter. Your first love, love of God, will help you get the rhythms right in that whole process. Rhythms that help you love God. Rhythms like prayer and scripture and silence and celebration and worship and community. Those sort of practices which I found myself getting out of whack in the last couple of years. Just out of whack wasn't as faithful to those things, wasn't as diligent to those things as I would have liked to have been. And even though, yeah, we're here, we should be able to be able to do that in this crazy time, found the opposite. I just found, honestly, I wasn't loving God like I, need, I know I needed to love God. And then that second love, which is things like graciousness and kindness and forgiveness and unoffendability, those sort of things that form in that second area, I found that they'd got out of kilter a little bit too and you just get a little bit more crusty and a little bit more grumpy. Loving God and loving others is the foundation of your thoughts and actions. That's where those things must get together. And this whole thing about, let me tell you, unoffendability is a superpower. Um... It's a superpower. It's so easy to get offended. If you haven't been offended, just hang on. It'll come. Be patient. <laughs> Being offended is called life. Life sometimes will offend you. The issue is not that we get offended. The issue is we don't love those people who offend us. That's the issue. It's crazy. And that's how we're known. Jesus says this, we know these scriptures really well. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. I don't know, people don't know you're a disciple of Jesus because of your doctrine. 
or because of your savvy or because of your intelligence or because you take certain stances in the world. They know it because of your love. Because of your love. Now, because of that love, you will make those other things. You will believe certain things. You will take some stances. But it's because of your love, not because of anything else. By this, people will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. That's how people know. And, and we will live in this, I've got to tell you, we'll live in this constant choice in the church. And it's, we're going to live here for, for a long, long time to come. I think well, we have to make this, this tension between a culture of full acceptance and yet non-compromise. That's going to be the challenge for the church coming up. That's what I mean by that. I, when I say full acceptance, I mean we've got to fully accept people. When you say to me, well, does that mean I accept what they do? No, it doesn't mean that. But you accept people. Paul says to the to the church in Rome, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God um, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Here's the question, how did Jesus accept you? The answer is totally, totally. Accept one another as Jesus accepted you. So we have, we'll have this tension in the church, I think more and more so, of how do we fully accept people but not compromise our faith? That's going to be the toughness for the church. There are, so many, there are so many ways that you can just don't like the morality of people and the morality of things. How do you accept the people fully and not compromise what you believe? That's not a problem to be solved. That's a tension to be managed. We'll be in that place for the rest of our lives as followers of Jesus. And we probably should. That's going to be the challenge. How do, I, how do I live double love in this crazy world that we live in, which chooses all sorts of outcomes and might come in the doors of the church, you hope? Because that's what the challenge is going to be for us. That's where vitality comes from. That's where flourishing comes from as we navigate those journeys rather than have it all you know, in a box. That's where that happens. Third thing is this. To help flourish, I believe, get good margins or get good rhythms by building margins. You know, a margin in your life is the gap between your load and your limit. All of us have a load in our lives. It's work, it's work added to family, added to church, added to you know, private personal enjoyment, all that sort of stuff. It's our load. And the limit is what we're capable of if we were functioning to the very maximum. And here's the deal. You can function to the maximum for a short period of time. But if you're functioning at your maximum with no margins in your life for too long, you'll go under. You'll, you'll, you'll languish. You, ju you just will. You know, we can do it for a period of time. If you're a uni student, you know you have to pull a couple of all-nighters sometimes to get an assignment done. But if you're pulling all-nighters all the time, you're going to run out of energy after a while. If you're in a, in a business world and you know you've got a project that's due to be finished next Friday, you know you might have every night out for the next fortnight, but 
But you can do it for a short period of time. But if you're living at that limit forever, for too long, you'll go under. And so do your rhythms of life go under. I know that experience personally and probably you do too. Your rhythms go, get all out of kilter when you're, when you're living at your limit and you're not building margins. And margins are important in most areas of your life. Time margins, energy margins, um, finance margins. We function best when we have margins in all of those areas and many more. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just, just a time margin. So as a dad, I know there were times when I'd build margin into my life to be with my kids, but I didn't have the energy to be with my kids. I'd built the time margin in, but not the energy margin. I'm there, but I'm not there. We need to build margin in life because that's where the rhythms come from. You know, I, I love the fact that Jesus built margins in his life. You read these scriptures very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You read also Luke 12, Luke 6, is one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. Jesus was able to build good margins. Could if he stayed where he was, could he have healed more people? Probably. If he hadn't gone out to the mountainside, could he have preached more sermons? Probably. But he chose to build margins into his life that sustained him for what he needed to be sustained for. And good margins in your life. This is where you need people around you who are good people around you who will remind you. Because some of us just get caught up in the max. You need good margins to help you build good rhythms in your life that help you love God and love others. That help you know the security you have as a follower of Jesus. You need good margins in your life and you probably need people to help you get there. And you need, that will help you find your rhythm and your rhythm is your rhythm. Sometimes we talk about in Christendom like everybody should have the same rhythm. Everybody should do this first thing in the morning. Everybody should do this, this thing and oh, you should pray for a certain number of hours or days or weeks or whatever it might be. You should read through the Bible a year. Whatever it is, that's a rhythm that's good for some people, not good for others. Find your rhythm and you will never find your rhythm of how best to love God and love others if you don't build margins into your life and your rhythm is so crucial. Your rhythm matters in terms of helping you flourish, not languish. Last thing I want to say is this, just in these thoughts, and they are thoughts. It's been haunting me in my own life in the last couple of years, some of these things, so I need to, that's when you get a free hit, you take it. Live out the adventure of faith. Faith is an adventure. It's not, it's not a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. It's not that I come to faith and then boom, I sit there for the rest of my life. It's a dynamic thing. You need to live out the adventure of faith. Faith is an adventure. It's God trusting you to take one step after another. That's how God trusts you. My, uh, my, it's very easy for God to get predictable, to God to get respectable, and he calls us beyond that. My experience is there are zones of faith. That's my own personal experience, that there are faith zones. And a, a faith zone is when I trust God to stretch me. I trust God in some way that I haven't done before. 
I attempt something I haven't done before with him. The comfort zone of faith is, is when I only do what I know I can do. It's when I, I've seen God work here, I'm trusting him to keep working that area with me. And the coasting zone is when I don't even trust God to do what I know he can do. I just coast. And here's my experience. People talk about living in the comfort zone. My experience is this, I don't live in the comfort zone very long. I find personally that if I'm living in the comfort zone in my life and in my faith, unless I'm challenged, I go back into the coasting zone pretty quickly. I didn't even stay in the comfort zone. And some of us, we kind of live in that coasting comfort zone area of faith and we don't recognise that God is a God of adventure. He asks us to reach out. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, but if, if you were to read Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of the biggie of the faith, it's, it's where the writer to the Hebrews says, by faith, so-and-so. By faith, Moses, you know, opened the sea. By faith, um, Enoch walked with God. It's all by faith, by this adventure, by choice. And then he gets down towards the end of that chapter. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did, did not perish with those who did not believe. What more can I say for the time would would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and through, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better, better resurrection. Both still others had had the trial of mockings and scourgings. They were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, slain. I could go on, I won't. By faith. That's an adventure. There's nothing coasting about that. There's nothing comfortable about that. I, I, I want to encourage us all to flourish in our faith and to avoid languishing and avoid just a static view of what God does, what God's here for, and what he does in us. You need to step out. You need to settle who you are in Jesus. You need to um, live with his double love, loving God and loving others and building the, the margins and the rhythms into your life that will help you do that. You need to take an adventure walk. An adventure run sometimes, one step after another with God. I want to close just showing you a, an image. Uh, some of you have seen this image before. I might have shown it to you in a camp, I'm not sure. But this is an African impala. And in, in, uh, in Africa, you drive along the roads out towards the safari parks, and these are here in, in droves. They run along the sides of the roads and... and uh, just like sheep would probably hear, but these impala are like a little deer, and it's about that big. And a little deer, no, it'd be that big. A little deer called the African impala can actually jump 10 foot high and 30 feet long when it springs. And you see the first one will spring, and the others will spring 10 feet high, 30 feet long. 
Amazing little animals from that size. You can corral or box up an African impala by building a wall about that high. You can just stop it from doing anything if you put it in a, in a pen like that. And you think to yourself, how on earth can you stop a, a little animal that can spring 10 foot in the air and 30 feet long by building a wall, not a roof on it, just a wall like that? An African impala will never leap if it cannot see where it's going to land. So all you've got to do is build something above eye line and it will just stay still. We'll never leap beyond if it can't see where it's going to land. Some of us are like that. We want to have our faith all sorted out. We want to have it all boxed up. We want to put God there and this is what God's going to do in me and it's going to be fantastic. And, and if we don't see that, we, we, we'd stop taking the first step. We won't even take the first step. God says, take the first step. See what I do with the second step. It's an adventure. It's life. It's, it's flourishing. Don't languish. Put God in the box. Put yourself in a box. And just have it all defined the way you want it defined. Flourishing. Vitality. Languishing. Lack of vitality. Choose the former. Choose the former. That's all we need to do. I want to just finish today by praying. And I want to say this. If, if you are, I'm not going to make a big deal of this, but if you are here and you just feel you are languishing more than you're flourishing, I want you to stand where you are. I'm going to just get you to stay where you're not going to ask you to come out here. You can if you want later on for some personal prayer, but I just want you to stand where you are. Just right now, if you feel yourself, you're, you're just languishing a bit more than you'd like to and not flourishing as much as you would. Just stand right now. I want to pray for you. I just want to pray for you. If you feel in that, in that place of, of languish, a place of vitality has leaked away somewhere, just going to leave it another few seconds. You just feel free to stand. just invite you if you're close by one of those folks just just stand with them would you just stand with those people and maybe if they're comfortable just put a hand on their shoulder or wherever it might you know and and, and uh, just and by way of doing that just say I'm with you I'm with you I understand it I don't want anyone standing alone today just stand with Jesus, I want to thank you so much that you showed us what it meant to live a vital life, a flourishing life, a life that doesn't languish. And God, it cost you dearly. It cost you so much. Lord, I pray that you will help us here today. I want to thank you for those who had the courage to stand and say, I feel like I'm languishing a bit. Could you pray for me? And Lord, I want to pray for each one. I pray that there'll be a new sense of hope and a new sense of flourish and a new sense of life and vitality just that comes from your spirit deep within for each person who stood. God, I pray for each one of us today. We will, we will know and be settled in who we are in Jesus. We'll know, Lord God, that at the forefront of our thoughts, 
and our actions are to love you and love others. God, would you help us have the discipline to build in our life just some margins that we need. And God, would you help us see this faith journey as an adventure. Help us not get stuck in the comfort or coasting, but be challenged and stretched in our faith with you. And God, again, I want to pray for those who stood and those who stood with them. Lord Jesus, that they will, each one will see a new view and vision of who God is and who God has called them to be. Thank you, Lord. You want, to, you want us to flourish. You want us to flourish. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand and join those who stood and we're going to sing a final song? And Justin might say it, but at the end, if you want like specific prayer, I think you feel free to come and get that and come to the front. Someone will pray with you then. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 